We are back with the Hubscale podcast. This week, we are joined by Dan Benjamin, the co-founder and CEO of Dig Security. Dan is a multiple-time founder, ex-Google and Microsoft, and founded Dig in September 2021, growing 200% in headcount last year. They're revolutionizing cloud data security with data security posture management and data detection and response. Dan, it's great to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Looking forward to going into a lot of these topics today. But for anybody who doesn't know Dan Benjamin, it'd be great to give you a quick introduction. Fantastic. So hi, everyone. I'm Dan. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Dick Security. Uh, we're a cloud data security company, helping organizations answer kind of three main questions um, across kind of their cloud data security environment. First off, what data do we even own across our clouds, whether it is AWS, Azure, GCP, Snowflake, Databricks? Second is how is that data being used? And lastly, how do we protect that data from data extraction, ransomware, compliance breaches, data misuse? And our goal is to kind of help organizations gain the same types of data security controls that they used to own uh, in the on-prem world in their public clouds. Uh, I've been in cybersecurity for the past 20 years, uh, starting in the Israeli army in the 8200 units. After that, co-founded a cybersecurity company that essentially got acquired by CA Technologies back in 2014. A couple of years at Google Cloud, a couple of years at Microsoft, uh, and went at it again to build Dig Security with a couple of friends of mine, also second time founders. Uh, today, Dig is almost 60 employees around the globe, um, about 45 in Israel and about 15 in the States. Uh, it's working with large enterprises to tackle their data security problems. Happy to be here. <laughs> no, no, very, very exciting journey. Like I said, I've been watching watching your journey from uh, from early on, and it's uh, exciting what you've done in that short period of time as well. So, take me back to the start of Dig Security. Um, why did you form? So, my last position at Microsoft was kind of helping Microsoft position themselves as a multi cloud security vendor. And when I was working with their customers, with the Microsoft customers that essentially were running on AWS and Azure and GCP. While we were able to tackle cloud security posture management and workflow protection across multiple clouds, the only um, problem that wasn't addressed in our strategy was data security. Uh, and if I kind of boil these down into kind of the three main questions that most of my customers kept asking me and we didn't have a good answer for, was data security. What data do we own? How is that data being used? How do we protect that data? Uh, and if we kind of think about this from mindset of an attacker, Data is always the actual target for an attack, right? That's where you can actually make monetary value from attacking an enterprise. But it's also the only place across cloud security that doesn't have a dedicated security solution. We have EDRs to protect our VMs, CrowdStrike, Sentinel-1. Uh, we have NDRs to essentially protect our networks, uh, ExtraHop and other vendors like that. But we don't really have a DDR solution to essentially protect our data. So as an entrepreneur, I said, I can build it. <laughs> I partnered up with a couple of friends of mine, um, also second time entrepreneurs, very, very strong founders. And um, very quickly we hit the ground running. Uh, I think a week after I left Microsoft, we closed our funding round. Uh, about a month later, we were already a team of 10 um, and essentially started building out the entire company. Um, we were very focused on what we wanted to build and how we wanted to kind of tackle this type of problem. But of course we grew and learned throughout the process. I think about eight months after a category was born, or at least a Gartner category, data security posture management. Initially, we just called it kind of cloud data security. Uh, and that kind of catapulted the entire category. So 
Uh, data security posture management is a very hot category today. Um, I think there's kind of multiple vendors in the space. Dig is probably one of the leading vendors in the space. Um, and essentially we help organizations tackle data compliance, data risk, data visualization, understanding what data do we own? And of course, how do we protect that data at scale? Yeah, no, honestly, it's um, it's awesome and definitely one of the fastest growing in the space for sure. Um, as I mentioned previously, 200% headcount last year, I saw it in an article, uh, which was pretty cool for sure. But so how do you get to that point? So obviously, straight out of Microsoft in the in the first couple of months, you're already 10 people. What foundations do you need to go and build and scale a business like Dick? So first off, I think you need the clear vision and understanding of uh, what exactly you're trying to build. So I think you need strong backers. We partnered initially with, with like teammates. Teammate, I think, in my opinion, is one of the best cybersecurity VCs in our space. Um, also old friends of ours. Actually, the head of uh, teammate was my old army commander 20 years ago in the 8200 unit. Um, and now he's kind of the like managing partner of teammate. Um, and we were able to kind of partner up initially and understood exactly what we wanted to build. Something that I actually took from Microsoft, which I think um, um, really helped us when we grew so quickly, we built an initial thesis paper that I think kind of served us for the first year of building big of what exactly we want to build, how we're going to go to market, um, who do we need to partner up with, what we're not going to do, what we are going to do, how is it kind of going to lay out in the next couple of six months, nine months, 12 months. And I think every person that onboarded initially read our initial thesis paper of why we created the company and what is our goals and how we're trying to, to actually tackle this company moving forward. Because as you grow so quickly with headcount, especially, the most important thing that you need to tackle is onboarding. Onboarding, making sure that everyone's aligned, everyone understands the mission, everyone understands why we built the company and how we're planning to move forward. Um, and I think that we cracked the onboarding piece quite early on. And that's kind of what allowed us to onboard 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 people um, in a very short period of time. And I think that serves us well even today. I mean, I don't think that our thesis paper is that up to date today because I mean, I think we, we've we run through kind of a whole process since then, but um, Employees love the fact that they can read kind of our initial thesis paper of why we actually created the actual company and where we're moving headed. Uh, so where we're moving uh, forward now. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool, actually. I don't think I've seen that too much about having kind of a thesis that everybody kind of goes back to. Out of interest, how many how many things on there came true? Because <laughs> obviously you have a big plan when you first start, but did everything <laughs> No, I think about <laughs> 65%. 65, maybe 70% essentially came through. I think uh, we wanted to build some stuff early on that we never built. Uh, maybe it was uh, impossible to do. Maybe it wasn't kind of the right priority set. Um, and we built a, a lot of things that we didn't understand initially. I mean, all came from kind of customer feedback. We were um, extremely lucky to partner up with uh, fantastic enterprises early on to kind of tackle this problem. Today, they works with approximately 50 different types of enterprises around the globe from finance, insurance, healthcare, retail, uh, tech companies, everyone that has sensitive data in the cloud that they need to protect. Uh, and we just learned together. We built this product together um, and iterated it super quickly. So if something was wrong, we changed it. If something was right, we kind of doubled down. Um, and we learned a lot about the category from kind of competition and how it's moving forwards. Um, 
from Gartner and other analysts. So we have a very strong relationship with Gartner. Um, and I think we were able to shape up the actual category. Uh, data detection response wasn't a thing before DIG was founded, right? Um, and today, data detection response appears in 50% of the RFPs that we see. Uh, data security posture management was in the category. Today, we're leading the data security posture management space. So there's a lot of things that kind of evolve um, like very quickly when you're building a company. And I think we were um, lucky enough and kind of put a lot of attention to kind of putting our ears to the ground and listening to what uh, people in the industry say. Yeah, no, no, I love it. I really do. And that's one of the topics today, staying agile. And I think um, even starting a business and creating multiple different categories within a well, brand new multiple categories within a, within the security market is pretty tough in itself. So how do you kind of stay agile in a market like this? Because you know right now that it's an interesting time in the world, just economically. So how do you stay agile Stay agile when you're pushing forward as a, as a new category uh, in the security market? So first off, I think that you need to be very strict on budgets. Um, I think that you need to align to the budget and if something doesn't work well, you don't overspend. Um, specifically in a time like this, um, it's very easy to overspend and then you will not be able to raise again or reach kind of your targets. So we're very, very strict in terms of budget, especially when you have to grow like this. Uh, you need to make sure that, um, that your assumptions are correct and if they're incorrect, you stop immediately and you fix it. Um, and we were very, very um, adamant about that. We have a very strong COO, CFO. Uh, he watches our money and kind of we um, uh, put a lot of focus on that aspect of it. Um, and I think you just need to understand what customers want and listen very, very quickly. And if customers feel that you give them the right attention, and we do, I mean, our goal is to partner up together. We always say that. Um, then they will bring you the next customers, to be honest. I mean, customers bring us a lot of our next customers because we gave them a good experience, because we were able to solve a real problem. And especially if you had a successful project, and as we know, many cybersecurity projects are not successful. If you had a uh, successful one, uh, your customers wanna talk about it. They wanna talk about it with their friends. They wanna talk about it with their peers. They want to essentially brag that they were able to essentially complete a proper data security project, which up until now was uh, a category that wasn't a very successful one um, in terms of kind of uh, uh, delivering value super quickly. Um, in the past, data security projects used to take 18 to 24 months to implement across 20% of your environment. With DIG, we typically uh, onboard an entire customer in less than a week and onboard 90% of their environment. Uh, that kind of... Um, Time to value, which is super quick, um, essentially is, is a big game changer in our space. And I think that's what kind of aligns um, customers to our thesis very, very quickly. Yeah, no, no, it's... Um... It's so exciting. I think the if you can the time to value on that from eighteen months to a couple of weeks is uh, is pretty game changing, isn't it? Especially in a in the security world when when breaches are happening all the time. So tell me tell me more about you, where you're going to take Dig. Um, obviously grown grown rapidly over the past couple of years, but where where do you, where you see from the thesis that you first started? Where do you see you going? <laughs> Our goal is to be the data security um, stack for the modern enterprise. Um, Modern enterprises today essentially live in public clouds and they don't have kind of the older on-prem. And if they do have the on-prem, they're trying to migrate into the cloud. They have kind of a digital transformation journey. And our goal is to be the data security stack for the modern enterprise, uh, help them cover any type of data security challenge that they own. 
Um, and we're still very early in our journey. I mean, we're young and we have a lot to do, uh, but essentially we're trying to build um, uh, a category leader. And building a category leader is always challenging. Um, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of noise in the market, a lot of vendors in the space. Uh, so you're trying to kind of uh, get the right attention, partner up with the right people, hire the right people, uh, win the interesting deals that are competitive, um, and also know when to give up, when to say, this is not an account for us. Um, I have a very kind of conversation with a customer, and I say to him, I don't think that we're the right solution for you, um, because it's going to deviate us so much from where we're planning to be. So for another $150,000, dollars $250,000, it's not worth it, right? So um, I think you need to choose your customers. I think you need to choose your employees. And I think to, you have to kind of stay strict on what you're trying to build. And does this align with our vision, yes or no? And if not, then drop it. There's enough customers in a very large space, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I, re I was reading the uh, Zero to IPO by the Opta. Octa co-founder, and he talked a very, very similar thing about don't just do everything you can for the customers. Make sure it aligns to your vision. Don't, don't do be be far away. So, no, fully understand that, and it's uh, it's a great testament to getting to where you need to be. And um, I think that kind of moves on to the next topic pretty well. And you mentioned it earlier around kind of keeping everybody aligned to a vision. And um, for me, that's one of the most critical parts of a business because it comes into attracting talent. It comes into attracting customers. Every single thing that you do is aligned to your vision. So you mentioned it earlier again, but dive into a little bit more detail about what your vision is and, and how do you keep everybody aligned? So first off, um, we over-communicate across any piece of the business. I think over-communication, especially for like a global company, you have to over-communicate. Um, we do uh, monthly all hands which um, I love this specific format. I think I took that actually from Google, from my time at Google. Um, we do monthly all hands where we have kind of each leader from the business essentially uh, talk about their piece of the business and everyone in the company can ask questions and we encourage that. We want everyone to ask any type of question, even if it's a silly question. There's, there's no silly questions if they don't understand a piece of the business because eventually, think about it like this. I'm not the one building the actual code, right? Uh, my co-founders are not the one actually building the actual code. We have developers that essentially are building business logic for our customers. Our goal is for them to be the most educated as they can about the business and where we're trying to be and where we're trying to solve. Um, we, have them, we have direct communication channels between customers to like product managers. We have a thesis where we don't hire customer success. We Every customer of ours essentially is paired with a PM. It's more expensive, but I think that creates better uh, experience for the customer where they'll actually get impact on the product itself. Um, and this is very different uh, for Dig versus other customers or versus other companies out there in the market. So all hands over communication, pairing product and customers kind of very early on um, and essentially making sure that product sales and marketing and engineering are all kind of tightly knit together. Um, even if we're not necessarily sure that this specific person needs to be in that specific meeting, we'll invite them because um, we want everyone to have as much as, I mean, as much information as they can to essentially build a fantastic company and a fantastic product. Yeah, that's really interesting. So no customer success, 
diving into and having a, a product manager off the back of that. So just tell me where that idea came from, because that's pretty cool. I think that when you're early, um, customer success uh, essentially becomes a proxy into product. Um, and my goal is for the product manager to essentially hear everything that they can from the customer directly um, to essentially, if the customer is mad, and hopefully we don't have a lot of mad customers, but if the customer is mad about a specific feature, a specific screen that they don't like, I want them to essentially communicate that to the product manager. I want the product manager to feel the pain. If they essentially get it through an intermediary, you will not feel the pain as much as kind of a customer saying, hey, I really hate the screen. I really don't like this capability. If you solve this for me, I would be kind of the happiest person. When you have a proxy, it kind of changes that specific capability. Uh, so early on in a company's life cycle, I think until you get to maybe 75 to 100, I don't believe that companies should hire customer success. I think that next year we will probably get to a point in time that we just don't have enough product managers to essentially scale that out. But early on, I think that's the best way to go. I think it's really cool, really cool, because typically you see it pass from the, the AE straight to uh, the customer success team, and then it takes a while to get going and then losing that communication between it all. So, no, I, I really, really love that idea. I think it's, uh, it's kind of revolutionizing. So pretty cool. Um, so I guess uh, I guess just kind of keeping on that point then. So ideally, obviously, when, when moving forward and hiring all these people, you've hired, obviously, I was reading an article, like I mentioned earlier, 200 and something percent uh, growth last year. How do you onboard all them people? Because uh, obviously the team has grown <laughs> three times. So how do you onboard all them people and keep them aligned as well, the new people? Yeah, uh, that's the main challenge, in my opinion. I think uh, last uh, six weeks, we've added another 10 people to the company. So we're still a small company, right? So onboarding that many people um, at such a short period of time is always a challenge. So um, proper onboarding processes. We like record our deck every month because our deck changes um, every month and kind of how do we do the pitch? So that changes every single month. We have um, product managers onboarding marketing people and marketing people onboarding salespeople. So we have a very, very, very strict onboarding process. And if something doesn't work, we immediately fix it because that's number one priority. Um, and we record customer calls, of course, if customers allow us to. So product managers and engineers can essentially listen in and understand firsthand, how does the pitch go? What works? What doesn't? What, is the, what does the customer say when they're presented the product for the first time, right? Uh, we try to onboard um, as many people as we can on kind of initial calls and feedback calls and uh, POC results calls um, anywhere we can. So we have a very, very strict process. Each kind of uh, business head essentially owns the process for his specific team. And we have kind of an employee onboarding doc of how do we onboard a generalist employee and how do we onboard a product manager and how do we onboard an engineer and each team has their own things. Um, so we put a lot of emphasis emphasis on that, especially because of this growth. I think later on, I think you're going to have enough people that, that can essentially onboard people without that plan, but it's so ingrained into our culture today that um, our goal is to have someone kind of hit the ground running as fast as they can. Yeah, I think that goes back to what you said earlier about the... Uh 
everybody being on the same page, the over-communication between everything as well. I think that kind of really aligns probably why you've been able to scale is that over-communication between all the functions. So no, I think that's awesome. I really do. And there's a, there's a lot to learn from from that type of situation as well. So I, I assume a lot of people listening will will take that into, <laughs> into their kind of growth as well. So I guess um, the interesting part, and this is one of the topics I wanted to talk to you about. So building a security company, is very tough. And I've spoke to multiple, multiple founders. I've had a lot of founders on the podcast go through their scenario of it. But where do you, where's your kind of key learnings happen through this time for the dig security phase? What have you learned the most? I think uh, building cybersecurity companies gets harder and not easier. Um, I'll say that um, in advance, um, even as a second time founder. I mean, back in 2009, when we built IDM Logic, kind of our first one, uh, when we were able to get a customer on board, they gave us the keys to the kingdom, right? Our first customer was a big bank um, in the US. And the first day there, they essentially said, oh, we'll make you a global admin. We'll give you access to everything. Just build whatever you need to build. Today, it's much harder. I think um, you spend more time on uh, convincing the right people, make sure, like making sure that uh, you do the vendor risk assessment and DPAs and uh, NDAs and so many different documents to essentially go through. So you need to be super, super strict on, on process. Um, I think that AEs that were successful, let's say 10 years ago, are not necessarily successful today because the first thing that they need to be very, very good at is program management making sure that they can follow a process, be meticulous about that specific process uh, and making sure that, that you're able to kind of move them along because otherwise there's no chance. I mean, there's too many other vendors that are gonna be better in process than you that are gonna shift uh, their attention to them versus you. There are so many problems in cybersecurity, right? I mean, and let's say 50% of the companies that they meet actually solve a real problem for them. So how do they choose you versus others? Good communication, good process, um, a process that, that the customer understands uh, and the fact that you need to handhold the customer because it's very, very hard to onboard so many different types of technology um, like vendors into, into an environment like yours. So proper training, proper onboarding, it's kind of the same thesis that I talk about this whole session. But um, I think that's super important. And I think that those that don't know how to crack that will not be successful in today's market. Um, so process is key for us, uh, making sure that we align on the value with the customer, making sure that if we don't think that we can solve the problem for the customer, be honest. Say, hey, I don't think that we're the right solution for you, so we won't waste time. Uh, not for us and not for them. Um, and essentially, be very kind of... Um, uh, Customer obsessed. Um, I mean, initially when I heard that term, I hated it. Uh, like customer obsession, I thought that uh, it was kind of very fluffy. But today I'm kind of one of the biggest believers because if you're not obsessed about kind of solving the specific needs of the specific customer and not just kind of a generalist customer that you imagine in your head, you're not gonna be successful. Um, eventually for a cybersecurity business that does enterprise sales, you don't need many, many, many deals to be successful. You need the right deals. Um, I prefer taking uh, 10 opportunities and succeeding in eight versus taking 100 and succeeding in, in 12, right? Um, 
So conversion rate is super important for us. Um, making sure that we uh, qualify the customer and not waste their time and not waste our time. Um, and essentially being able to solve their problems. And, and if we can't, not take that account. Um, and I think that the team does a really, really good job at that. Uh, we still have ways to go. We still need to qualify better and ask the right questions. Make sure that there's budgets. Make sure that uh, this is for this purchasing year and not next year's purchasing year. Um, but um, if we're aligned, I think that there's no reason for us not to be successful. Yeah, no, I love that, and I've had a, I've had a lot of people talking on this podcast about kind of locating the ICP pretty quickly. I know that can be really hard at the beginning because you're kind of just going out in the <laughs> into the wild. Uh, but tell me a little bit about how you located your ICP. You mentioned there obviously ten, eight out of ten. That means you've got a really niche focus, maybe who you're going after. So how did you locate that? So I think that we had a pretty good understanding of that aspect of it. Um, so we knew that we want to focus on industries that have sensitive information. Sensitive information is key because if, if you have sensitive information, most likely you're being regulated. Either you have PCI regulation, HIPAA regulation, GDPR is kind of affecting every, every company in Europe that essentially has uh, sensitive data. Now you have CCPA in the States that essentially um, is going to roll out to kind of all the states in the US um, or kind of the federal law around that. So data regulations are coming. And if you find the, I mean, if you find the right companies that are mandated by a specific type of data regulation or are kind of growing very, very significantly in terms of data um, in the public cloud, then I think that's the right fit for you. Um, we also understand that we're not the right fit for a very, very small company. Um, I think in general, cybersecurity for SMBs is a very difficult space. Um, so for us, if the company doesn't have at least 10 people in security, we typically don't take that type of an account because either it's going to be too small um, or they're not going to have um, the manpower to essentially handle a large scale security product. Um, so our goal is to find and right size, constantly right size and understand who is the right fit for us. Now, maybe eight is enough, right? Or maybe seven is enough, but, but definitely not one person in cybersecurity that is now kind of managing the entire stack and, uh, he should manage now 30 or 40 different products. It doesn't work. Um, let's not forget, but typical customers today have 80, 90, hundred percent, I mean, a hundred uh, products that they essentially need to maintain to just secure their environments. They don't have a big enough team. They will not be able to essentially onboard with an additional product. Um, also, very early on, we essentially partnered up with like channel partners. Channel partners, in my opinion, is key. So how do we essentially onboard that piece of it? You know? Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely important. It even goes down to what type of sales leader you hire as well. Obviously, with, with Mike coming on from his background is is awesome as well. And I've seen it before where people sometimes don't know what customers they're going after. And then they hire a sales sales leader who may not may or may not fit within their customer base. So no, and it sounds like you got that kind of nailed in pretty, pretty early on, which is which is quite rare to be fair when and a lot of security vendors. So it's pretty cool indeed. So again, um, again, talking about kind of just on tip side, I always like to dig deeper on this because I do get a lot of questions um around this as well. So your investors, obviously, Merlin Ventures, teammate, Okta, CrowdStrike. How did you choose them very early on? Uh, that's a fantastic question. So we knew that early on we wanted to bring in um, a cybersecurity focus fund. We knew that we wanted a fund that is based out of Israel because we're mostly based out of Israel. 
Um, and teammate was kind of a natural fit for us. Uh, it was very obvious for us to essentially choose them. That was our first meeting. Um, I think we met 10 VCs in a single week. Uh, we got multiple offers, but teammate was our first meeting and that was kind of the one that we chose early on. Um, we were able to kind of add in additional partners as well um, into our first round, which was CrowdStrike and Maryland um, and others as well. But um, when we understood that cybersecurity is moving towards coalitions, um, we wanted to build the right coalition for us, right? Uh, Dig is kind of unique. We have three CVCs that are um, investors in the company. So we have CrowdStrike, we have Octa, and we have CyberArk, all fantastic partners. We knew that we want to partner, that we essentially want to partner around um, identity and around detection response, right? CrowdStrike, in my opinion, is one of the best uh, endpoint detection response companies in the market or the best XDR company in the market. Um, Okta and CyberArk are fantastic identity identity vendors. And if, if we kind of think about what DIG is all about, we help organizations essentially protect their data. Data is tied to identity. Um, and detection response is kind of the key capability of what we do, right? How do we detect and respond when something goes wrong? There is no enforcers in the public cloud. Um, if someone downloads a file, um, there is no way to essentially block it in the cloud. You can detect and respond to that. Um, in the on-prem world, in the endpoint space, you actually had agents, you actually had enforcers in the actual network that, that, that can essentially block capabilities like that. In the public cloud, it doesn't exist. So detection response is key for this type of solution and identity vendors and the collaboration that we can essentially build there is super exciting for us. And very, very soon you'll hear about a couple of key announcements that we're gonna make around those specific partnerships. <laughs> oh, very cool! Very cool. Excited to uh, excited to hear the news um, over the next few weeks. Then, but no, honestly, um, really, really exciting stuff that we've gone through today, and there's so much to kind of unpack. But I always kind of leave this one question. Um, so there's a lot of kind of founders or potential founders that could potentially be like listening to this podcast as well, Dan. So, what advice would you give to somebody either wanting to go and set up their own uh, vendor or or kind of is in that really early phase as well? Excellent question. It's a difficult one. <laughs> um, I always say that first off, build a fantastic team uh, that can essentially hit the ground running with you. Um, right founders, right kind of first early on employees. It's very, very difficult. Uh, it's um, a long journey and you're going to get hit most of the time. So uh, make sure that you have people that can kind of pick you up and can kind of supplement your skill set because you're not going to be good at everything. Definitely not. Um, I identify who's good at what. Uh, you might be kind of three super strong technical people, but the one is front facing. That's not a good thing, right? So you need to have kind of complementary skills. Second, identify that there is actually a problem that you're trying to solve and not just kind of a cool technology that, that, that you're trying to apply a problem to. And third, Make sure that the market is big enough. I've seen so many entrepreneurs going in very, very small markets and they don't understand why investors don't want to put in money. Um, when you go after a small market, you shouldn't go to VCs. Um, it just doesn't make sense, right? The VC wants to make at least 10x on their money, at least seed, seed stage uh, VCs. Now, if best case scenario, you're going to do uh, 4x on their money after five years, it doesn't make sense for them to invest in your specific type of company. 
So make sure that the uh, market size is big enough. And if not, choose the right investors. I mean, does it make sense to go to a VC, go to angel investors or kind of private investors that, that will essentially help you fund this specific type of problem and validate the plan. I think we had what, a hundred discussions with kind of security leaders before we started the actual company to make sure that we're hitting the right problem. And even then we had to tweak it many, many, many times after we started the company itself and after we raised money. Uh, so make sure that you have as many discussions as you can, pitch, practice, understand what's important, understand what's not important, iterate, not be stubborn. And it's very hard not to be stubborn because people will say, oh, no, no, this is not a big problem for us. <laughs> so you need to be a little bit stubborn to kind of make sure that that even if, even when people say no, you're still kind of going to move forward. But if you get kind of get a hundred no's out of 110 discussions, probably you're doing something wrong. You're not hitting the right problem. Uh, so uh, open your ears, but also kind of follow kind of your uh, dream and your vision. Uh, if you think that this is the right path to move forward. Yeah, no, no, really, really good advice. Really good advice. Um, I think uh, the whole the whole situation in terms of your journey as well, Dan, and honestly, really, really impressive stuff that you've gone on as well. And really appreciate you spending some time with me to get, today to go into a lot of the topics and very excited to watch you and dig grow over the next couple of years as well. Um, so yeah, really, really uh, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Of course, thanks to you for having me. No problem. Thank you very much, Dan, and speak to you soon.